welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. So welcome back to The Straw Hat. We've had a bit of a hiatus uh, in uh, the past uh, couple of months. Uh, I was traveling and there were some uh, urgent matters that uh, we had to take care of uh, in the shul. uh, And uh, school was closed uh, for um, some percentage of my children for much of uh, January and February. But uh, here we are. Purim has just passed. Pesach is on the horizon. You know, great to be back uh, recording again. And... uh, uh, recording on a very uh, fraught week for um, for our community. This is the one-year anniversary of the closing of our shul last spring. Um, parasha Kitisa that we read uh, just a few days ago was a parasha that was not read at all uh, last year in our shul and in many, many communities. It was a parasha that was, uh, that was skipped and not read. Uh, and the anniversary on the Civil calendar. Uh, it was March thirteenth, which is coming in just a few days. So, uh, this is a very you know anniversaries are, are poignant times. They they evoke a lot of memories. They are an occasion for reflection, and I thought it was appropriate to mark that on on this podcast. Um, Robin Nicole, do you you were not, of course, working at the shul last spring. Uh, you share like uh, what what were you up to? Like what was your experience of of last March? You were in New York, so you mm-hmm. were a little bit ahead of the curve in the in, in confronting COVID than than we were here. Yeah, a little bit. I was uh, I was actually living in Riverdale, where we were we were among the first communities to close. Uh, especially our Jewish communities were were pretty hard hit. I remember I was looking through the memories on my phone. The last uh, time that I was at uh, the school I was teaching at was on Purim, <laughs> and uh, it was the Purim day, and all the kids were were dressed up in costume, and that was the last time we were all together. Um, one of the last Shabbatot uh, that I was in someone's home, um, you know, we gathered, it was just three of us at a meal and we like sat on opposite ends of the table because we thought that was going to be safe enough. And then eventually it just shifted to uh, visits outside of people's windows and uh, Shabbatot on my own. Uh, so those are my <laughs> strongest memories were uh, the uh, Shabbos walks and waving to people outside their windows, talking to my neighbor at her window ledge. Thank God, uh, we're able to see each other outside. I'm glad that the weather's warming up now. Can you share a little bit about the closing of the school? Like, what what did your mm. administrators tell you? Did you think you were closing for two weeks? Did they? Wow. Were you, how did you pivot to online education? Like, what was that experience like? Did they tell us we were? No, they. I mean, we. They said, you know, prepare for for a few days at home. I think, you know, mm. we took all of our stuff. I think I left my school issued computer there. Uh, and it was, and it remained there for the rest of the year. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, we pivoted to Zoom, and and you know, I was teaching at Carmel Academy, uh, which is now uh, LaFell School. We were pretty well adept to, to to shifting to Zoom, but it was yeah. They told us like you know, prepare lesson plans for for a few days and take them home with, take whatever you need for a few days home with you, uh, and we'll see how it goes. And uh, that's how it went for the rest of the year. Was over Zoom. Yeah. I I had spoken to, or Sarah had actually spoken to some someone we know who had done some consulting with the Red Cross and was a you know, really experienced disaster person uh, in her professional life, and she had told us to prepare for eight to twelve weeks of things being closed, which wow. at the time was like seemed like a incredibly long period of time, and I felt like I was 
you know, so sophisticated and, uh, you know, in the know, because I was expecting eight to 12 weeks of things being closed. And of course, uh, oh, yeah. um, that, that's a lot more than we anticipated. Yeah, that's well, for, and, and yet sure. it was, you know, I don't think I realized that things would be uh, you know, still dealing with this a year later, right? That still be, uh, still not be back to quote unquote back to normal, right? Um, so, so it's uh, very, very strange. Although I think that it's sort of acute kind of intensity, the fear, the uncertainty, uh, that that I think has has dissipated somewhat, right? We sort of know a lot more than we did than we did then. We I think we know how. To, you know, I think if someone had told me in uh, in April, beginning of April last year, that uh, you know all you have to do is um, you know if people are masked and distanced, well you're able to you know have uh, you know short interactions, you know even indoors in large spaces. You know we can have minyanim again. Uh, you can have uh, you know shortened tefilot in the shul. Uh, just get rid of to be mass and distance, that would be, oh, great. I would have taken that bargain, you know, like in a heartbeat, right? Um, but, uh, Absolutely. You know, now I'm really, really ready for, for, for the next thing, for the next yeah. thing to come. Thinking back, I, 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 you know, we've never discussed this. I, I, do, were there um, uh, you know, p- people you cared about who, who died from COVID? I don't, I don't know how has this touched you personally beyond oh, wow. the, like, the, the, the impact on your own life is, you know, having to go through lockdowns and, and, and all the distancing, et cetera. Were there, like, have there been losses that have been felt in your life? Um, thank God, no. And right, I'm 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 in a, a grateful, blessed position to to be able to say that. You know, thank God, my family members were able to isolate, and you know, even even my family members who thank thank God who are healthcare workers weren't weren't touched by it. Um, were they, were they working from, in uh, yeah with COVID patient yeah mm-hmm. uh, with COVID patients no so that's the they're not you know they're 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 medical specialists so they work in, in different areas. So, and, and not, and so, you know, they were in hospitals visiting their patients, but, but not directly working with COVID patients. Um, I have a very close friend who works in chaplaincy. So she was on the floors and she was in every unit, as she says, like every unit became a COVID unit. So it wasn't oh, wow. like, wow. Y- yeah, she was, she was at NYP and, um, she talks about it now. We were just reminiscing the other day or, or even, you know, she's writing reflections about her work and, she was looking back and saying, well, what, what was that like? Do you remember what I said to you? Do you remember if mm. it felt different than now? And we were looking back through our text message histories. And mm. it's a lot of, um, even uh, Yeshivat Maharat held an event reflecting on this and reflecting on uh, pastoral care in times of trauma. And the truth is, uh, for those who are on the front lines, and I'm not, you know, I'm speaking secondhand, obviously, or for those who are on the front lines, right, they're still we are collectively, I think, still living through the trauma and the traumatic period. We're not, I know there's this light at the end of the tunnel, God willing, and uh, thank God we've recovered so much of, of what we couldn't do and we know so much more, but we're, we're still, I think, actively living through a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's why I, I, I want to go back to like the end of the title in a moment and say something like that. But, <laughs> but at first, I just want to acknowledge there, there were two two people whom I whom I knew uh, fairly well um, who who died of COVID in the spring. One was a oh, wow. uh, a very close family friend of my in laws, um, who who was I think a woman in her sixties, and and another was a very close friend of my of my parents, who was I think in the, a young his young eighties. Um, so these were you know like definitely older people in the demographic that is most vulnerable to COVID, but these were both individuals who were uh, very much active in their careers, were very, you know, were, were married, had, you know, children and grandchildren who, with whom they were very involved in, in their lives. And, and so these were quite tragic deaths to their families so and, sorry. And, their, and their colleagues. And, and uh, but uh, I also feel, you know, I guess also in a lucky situation that it's, you know, quote unquote, only two, and it's not, not more given, uh, you know, how many people we all know, it, you know, in, 
you know, parts of the world that were really, you know, highly, highly impacted by COVID. Um, yeah. I'm so sorry uh, to hear that. So the light at the end of the tunnel, you, you've been doing a lot to bring that light. I, th- I don't know if all of the listeners of the podcast know how many hours you've devoted to getting people their vaccine shots. And that's, uh, I think that's, I just want to like, kind of like honor that and, and really celebrate that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. The, uh, that's been one of the points of optimism that I've seen this, this large movement around people helping eligible folks get their vaccine appointments and get their vaccines. Um, you know, I've done I've done a, a very very small fraction of the work that's been being done out there. Is like you know the the vaccine hunters group on Facebook is now at fifty thousand members, um, which is phenomenal. It's people really really helping each other. I used to think you had some secret, you know, but really it's just you just spent a lot of time searching the internet to get <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's, very tenacious and getting people their vaccines. Yeah, um, you had to learn how to how to go on the hunt. And thank God, you know, I've. Uh, if anyone else is still seeking uh, help, uh, eligible folks who are still, still seeking help for appointments, um, we have a, a volunteer team now that uh, has uh, graciously stepped up and is willing to help others who have been uh, taking part in this effort uh, from their own, you know, independently. So we've gathered them together, they're ASBI community members. So if you do need help uh, or you know someone who needs uh, help getting an appointment and is part of 1A, 1B, 1B plus is now uh, open in some places, um, let us know. You can reach out to me, and uh, we can deploy our team. I, I'm so grateful that that you know you have, this, you have this team now, and that we're able to offer this. I, I made calls to the members of the shul who um, who are over age 65, who are eligible in 1A and 1B, yeah. and uh, uh, just about all of them had already managed to get vaccine appointments by the time I spoke to them. And those who didn't, we were able to help with, with you know, you and your team were able to find them appointments. And it's such a great feeling to know that the most vulnerable members of our community uh, have, have that degree of safety now. It's a real sense of reassurance. And I, uh, I'm really, really grateful. And as I think as the new, the, um, uh, the, the next uh, cohorts of people become eligible, the next eligibility tranches, I don't know the word they're using, the next group becomes <laughs> eligible for vaccines, uh, you know, it, once again, we may have to, you know, scramble to find uh, appointments for people. My hope, though, is actually that the vaccine-like availability is going to be so, like, they're expanding production, right. they're expanding delivery, there are new places, you know, there's they've now... Up, the, yeah, they've opened up max vaccination sites uh, exactly. that, so that have seen a lot of people. downtown at the, mm-hmm. um, the, the stadium. United and, Center. You know, so, yes. But also, yeah, just a, a shout-out to the... To, the volunteers who have really, really been doing amazing work uh, that I wasn't aware of. You know, we were all working in our independent corners and, and the people in our community who have been doing amazing things for others during this pandemic, uh, you know, I'm including those vaccine hunters among them. Uh, so shout out to all of them. Yeah. And our amazing ASBI members who went to vaccination sites through Frua 311 this weekend and vaccinated we had a whole group, I think between last weekend and this Absolutely. weekend, we had maybe half a dozen or more people volunteering, administering vaccines and at, at this... Uh, Refua three one one Hatsala Agoda vaccination site, and uh, that's really a, really a great partnership that the Jewish community was able to provide as a service to the you know to the residents of Chicago. And I'm really happy that people from our shul showed up. With you know those who had the right training Amazing. showed up. I, I I asked a physician you know what how much training would it take for cause, you know she had mentioned oh it's really hard to find people who can you know it's gonna be a struggle to find enough people eligible to training you know to to administer vaccines. And I asked. How much training would I need to do it? And she didn't answer. But I don't think I don't know. <laughs> maybe if they get desperate enough, maybe they can train the rest of us in how to administer. We can leave vaccines. it to our our physicians, our nurses, our EMTs, or we yes, can. Yes, yeah, no, I mean, there are a lot of them. They, they they can go first. They're they're definitely more qualified. Medical personnel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's been quite a year. Um, really grateful you joined our our team in the middle of this year. I, I uh, it, it's uh, definitely up there in like top 
five worst ways to move to a new community and start a job. But I'm uh, very grateful that you did so. And and uh, even if we, we weren't uh, working together at the start of this crisis, but I'm glad we're working together as, uh, please God, it's ending. And uh, in the coming, really the coming months, I think you're going to be uh, dramatically better than, than even things are th- things yeah. are right now. And, um, I'm glad to be here. And I hope that we, uh, hopefully the Shabbat will be able to mark uh, a bit of a coming together, one year being able to see each other. It should be a good feeling, hopefully. Yes, yes. So so stay tuned to your email for Shabbos afternoon. Hopefully we'll gather, find a spot in the park and we can gather, uh, you know, and again, in a distance, outdoor, safe way. And we can sort of just relish in the fact that our community has, has endured. Uh, please God, we're, we're safe and, and uh, in good health and able to see one another again and sort of emerge from the winter and emerge from the worst of this of this plague and, and, and be together. And, and obviously, you know, th- those who are able to sign up to join us in Shul too. That's also, that's also really important and, and uh, <laughs> valuable, those who are able to do so. I, I, uh, you know, I, just, I, I, I have not been, you know, pushing people to come to Shul. It's a very, per- I feel it's a personal decision. It's a, it's a, it's not just a personal decision. It's also a health decision. Not every, it's not, you know, people have different risk profiles and people have different risk tolerances. And, uh, you know, there's, there's different advice from different uh, public health officials whom you may, you know, trust more or less. And, and that also determines how people are ready to come back to Shul. And people have uh, childcare responsibilities that also makes it hard to come back to Shul before we're able to offer children's programming and babysitting and all those things that made it easy to, for people to, come to show in the past, but uh, those who are able to, you know, I, I, um, it's, it's, it's nice to see folks. And uh, I hope as more and more people get vaccines, as the weather allows us to uh, return to outdoor tefillah as well, I hope we'll see many, many more of you uh, joining together for tefillah. I think I'm looking forward to as well, you know, like the shul, get, get to see more of the people in the shul, actually in the shul, or, or at least adjacent to the shul and davening together with all of you, which was something I, uh, I miss a lot from the past year. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you some questions about um, this past uh, Purim. This was at a very unusual uh, occasion of Purim occurring on a Friday, and uh, uh, there's sort of a couple of different practices on how one celebrates Purim on a Friday. I think I did the more boring uh, way of celebrating Purim <laughs> on a Friday. I, I had my Purim meal uh, in the morning, <laughs> and then I went and delivered child kamanas and brought the kids home from school and and then I came to shul in the afternoon, like every Friday afternoon and Friday evening. Uh, but you got to do something really cool that the Gemara talks about and the post can also talk about. So uh, you share like a little bit about, I mean, you taught about it and, and the shul shared guidance about how to do that for those who are interested, but you actually did it. And like, what was it like? Tell me, because uh, it's, you know, like a very rare opportunity to do this. So can you describe yeah. it, please? Sure. Uh, it was uh... – <laughs> One of those geek out moments for when you've learned this uh, sugya before, you've learned this Gemara, and you're like, oh, I can actually live this now. It's not just this theoretical discussion of how do I do this interesting halachic thing. And uh, I'm thankful that you uh, let me uh, stay home that night from uh, from davening so I could do this Pores Mapu Makadesh practice um, that actually conflicted with Kabbalah Shabbat. So a little on that. So... Right. You said that uh, you can do that when Purim falls out on a Friday, you can do the Suda in the morning, you can do it earlier. Um, whereas generally you would look to do it in the afternoon because you're spending the morning doing other mitzvot of the day. But now on, on Arab Shabbat, right, you're not supposed to really eat uh, a set meal on, on Shabbos after uh, on Friday afternoon leading into Shabbat so that, as not to interfere with your appetite for the for the Friday night meal. But when it comes to Purim Suda on a Friday, uh, there's room to do this uh, practice called Poris Mapo Makadesh, which is when you're eating uh, a meal at around sunset on a Friday uh, afternoon that you kind of interrupt the meal and it's like this one long continuous meal. You interrupt the meal by spreading a mapa, uh, a cover over the bread on the table 
and you make Kiddush as, as Shabbos has come in. You, you declare the sanctity of the day that you recognize that the sanctity has entered the room, uh, the sanctity of Shabbat, and you make uh, Kiddush. If you already made uh, <laughs> Hagafen in your previous uh, part of the, in the earlier part of the Suda, you don't have to make Hagafen again. And then you continue the meal, and now it's your Shabbos meal. So it's kind of like morphing the Purim Suda that you started in the afternoon, which is something that's rare on a Friday afternoon to eat uh, a meal, a festive meal. Uh, so that festive meal kind of morphs into your Shabbos Suda on Friday night. And uh, it was it was kind of fun. I, I had a lot of fun doing it um, because it made me pause to reflect on the nature of the, the Purim meal, why I was sitting there celebrating, what the, you know, what what was present at that meal. And then to pause and think about how am I transitioning now into Shabbos? What's being added it reminds yeah. me a little bit of um, the, the experience of Shabbat and Hanukkah, where you have Shabbat candles and Hanukkah candles, and maybe they're next to each other, but they have really different rules. You know, the Hanukkah candles are not allowed to benefit from them. You're to look at them and enjoy them, but not use them for any practical purpose. And then the Shabbat candles, the whole point is you're supposed to use them. The light is supposed to help you yeah. have a more enjoyable, pleasant, pleasurable, uh, relaxing, peaceful, uh, tranquil Friday night, right? Well, you have light in the room where you are. You don't trip and fall, and you get to talk to the person you're eating with and enjoy each other's company because you can see each other. Um, so it's like the you know you have two lights in the same location, but they have you know opposite um, kind of halachic valence, right? Well, these these lights are just to publicize the miracle, and right. we can't use them. And these lights are primarily for the purpose of of shedding light that we then benefit from. So I, I don't know. This reminds yeah, me of like the same meal, right? The same food. But all of a sudden, it switches from being a Purim meal to a Shabbos meal. So, uh, you know, like, did the food taste different <laughs> once it became a Shabbos meal? <laughs> yeah, it definitely. No, so I think I think those two different valences to me and uh, are that the, the Purim meal is kind of like this pandemonium, this kind of uh, this celebration that is beyond bounds. Right? I have an afohu. Everything is turned upside down. There's no definitions. It's not, you know, it's kind of you're supposed to kind of lose yourself in the celebration. And then the Shabbos meal feels like, an ordered celebration of the order of creation, the crowning achievement of the Shabbat of resting and the world's completion through rest. And those, the meeting of the two of like the chaos, that's kind of like the, the fun chaos of the, of the Purim Suda, of the turning <laughs> things around and the order of the Shabbos, uh, right? The, the week that culminates in Shabbos, the ordered creation of the world that we, that we mark every week uh, on Shabbat. That's what it felt like, like the meeting of those two things. Um, I also, I mean, just a highlight for me was singing a Kabbalah Shabbat at the table during the meal. So that's what you do right in the middle. Uh, and that was that was a lot of fun to be able to do that during a meal, like sing Kabbalah Shabbat. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And then you said, and then you said Marev after the meal? Yeah, so. Marev was after the meal. So there are people who, who give different advice on that because you don't want to forget to do Marev. So you could do Marev in the middle, but yeah. Okay, so please God, please God, this happens again in... Uh, four years, and maybe in four years we'll have like a shul dinner, a crowded, <laughs> packed shul dinner where we'll all, sh- you know, share our aerosols with each other and we'll have we'll, a... We'll sing Kabbalah Shabbat together around the Shabbos Shiva, table. And then we'll like break for Kabbalah Shabbat and then we'll go right back in to our Shabbos meal. Uh, I know. It spot. sounds kind of lovely to me. Yeah, it sounds a lot of fun. So maybe, yeah. so please, so that's, we have this, it happens again in four years and, and then there's like, I think at least a 15 year gap until the next time. So mm. uh, we have like a little bit of time to like prepare for the next one. Uh, so the same calendar year where Purim occurs on Friday uh, also coincides with a calendar year in which Erev Pesach occurs on Shabbat. So that's like the other like kind of really kind of fun, unusual, maybe less fun, more unusual, I don't know, uh, calendrical oddity of this year uh, of Erev Pesach on Shabbat. It has not happened for um, maybe 2008 was one such year. 
uh, I believe 2008 was a year like this. But I was, that year I was a student, I was living in Israel, and so it was a very different, you know, I don't know, kind of different life situation. I, I've never um, guided a congregation or a community in any way. I've never been a rabbi during a year when uh, <laughs> Erev Pesach has occurred on Shabbat. So, like, nothing in my professional life has prepared me for uh, for this moment. And um, I'm going to be teaching about it uh, before uh, Pesach. That's my, like, Shabbat HaGadol topic this year. So that'll be, like, a Thursday night, week from Thursday night. Uh, please join live. You can watch the video afterwards and we'll talk through some of the like halachic conundrums that have to overcome how do you have a shabbat meal when it's Erev pesach like what are you supposed to eat and how are you supposed to prepare it and when do you burn your chametz and how do you destroy your chametz on shabbat that remains and you know all the practical information will be covered in that class and also this topic is um was sort of like, like historically very important uh this is this, this occurred even more rarely in ancient times it seems before we had a fixed calendar and it was a year like this one that that uh, kind of launched um, Hillel's career. Uh, the B'nai B'teira, who were the rabbinic mm. leaders at the time, didn't know what to do when Erev Pesach occurred on Shabbat re- regarding the preparations for the sacrifices, the Korban Pesach, and how it was prepared in the temple. And Hillel had just come to Israel from Babylonia, and he knew what to do. It's, the Gemara says he had uh, served Shmai and Aftalion with a lot of diligence, and he knew the answer, and they ultimately accept his answer after some hesitation. And I think the circumstances of the way in which he explains himself and justifies himself, I think was really uh, an important turning point in Jewish history, um, both like who he was and what he accomplished in his life afterwards, and also in terms of the, the form of argumentation that he deploys to convince them to, to follow his lead was also really significant historically. And so I want to talk about that as well, and uh, maybe some of the psychological like implications of, um, of such a year, especially in the aftermath of a year such as what we've had. So mm-hmm. I'm... If I'm being vague, if I sound vague, it's because I haven't prepared the class yet, so it's still vague in my mind. <laughs> but I am very excited to to share these ideas. Hopefully, you know, you'll be able to uh, to join to join and listen to that as well. It's cool, but it is very fitting, right? Of like a, a year like this, in which now we have these two interesting calendrical events happening, where where uh, Erev Shabbos coincides with holidays, right? It's kind of like God keeping us on our toes, right? <laughs> you know, like don't, like don't settle in, right? Yeah, you think things are back to normal? No, no, no. Be aware. See what's happening. Yes, the, the trope and the cliche that everyone spoke about for the last year was always unprecedented times, unprecedented this, unprecedented that. And, and finally, we're <laughs> back like to the same holidays that we had to deal with last year. And like, how do you do Pesach in, you know, in, in, in COVID? Like, what do you, how does that work? And, you know, like, what, what, do we, what did we invent for the first time last year? And how, well, actually, whatever you did last year, which was itself, you know, an unprecedented innovation and, a, you know, departure from your, uh, your usual playbook. Well, you have to do it again because, you know, like throw it out again okay? because now it's also Shabbos in, in addition to being Arab Pesach. So you, have to, you have to rethink it. So it's uh, definitely we're kept on our toes by the calendar, <laughs> you know, as well as by by the circumstances that are forcing us to be particularly creative and and uh, and, and rewrite the playbook, et cetera, for, for these holidays that we've you know celebrated so many times for so many, so many generations. But um, mm. it, it'll, it'll be nice when we have like more precedent and memories and we can sort of go back to our muscle memory for how to celebrate uh, and how to how to how to act with, with one another in, in community. I want to end with a comment on, on our Torah portion this week. We, we read Vayakal Pekude, the double portions that conclude Sefer Shemot, and the uh, last parshiot, the last sections of Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, uh, form a, like a whole unit. They go together. There's Truman Tetzave, in which Moshe is given the commands for how to build the Mishkan, how to build the tabernacle, and all the things that are in it. Then there's Parsha Kitisa that we read just a few days ago, which is the story of the golden calf. And then there's 
of Yaakov Akudai at the end, which is the implementation of the command to build the Mishkan. And you sort of, it's a very much, uh, it's quite repetitive. Um, Rashi has very little to say, like uncharacteristically Rashi has very little to say because he's told us all in Truma Fitzal, he told us what all the things are and what, how to build it and what the hooks and the curtains and the, and the parochet and the, and the shulchan, all, all the items uh, of the Mishkan are all described in great detail in Truma Fitzal. So there's very little less to say uh, and comment on it in, in the Yaakov Akude. Uh, but the structure is kind of interesting because it's a, like an envelope with, Kitsisa, right at the middle. You have the Mishkan at the beginning, the Mishkan at the end, and then right in the middle is this like very dramatic, um, powerful, unsettling story of the sin of the golden calf. And I, uh, I, I heard uh, Rabbi David Bigman speak about this this structure, and I subsequently saw that he wrote about it in his like brief. Uh, he has a book of like short essays on, on the parsha where he says this as well. That that the the structure of the end of the book of Exodus is. Um, of, of the Mishkan surrounding the story of the golden calf is actually what happened in the Mishkan itself. Like the Mishkan, so what was in the center of the Mishkan was the shattered tablets, right, were placed next to the second set of tablets. They were all placed together in the Aron, in the Mishkan. And so just as the Mishkan enclosed the remnants of this story, the aftermath of the the sin of the golden calf, so too the structure of the end of the book of Exodus also replicates uh, that same centering of the golden calf enveloped by uh, the Mishkan, enveloped by, surrounded by the tabernacle. And uh, I think that that's a, um, I don't know, I think it's a very poignant and powerful message for the kind of our own emergence from trauma of the past year that it's not meant to be suppressed. It's not meant to be excised from our life and from our memories, but it's something that we uh, take with us, you know, our own failures and the tragic elements of the past year that had nothing to do with our own failures, but just the, the trauma that nonetheless lives with us, the, the shattered remnants, right, of those first shattered tablets um, are placed alongside the intact ones, and they all are at the center of our sacred life, and we sort of carry it with us, and we we bring it with us, and and I think that's uh, that's sort of I mean, it seems to me like a very helpful psychological message, um, as as well as uh, saying something pretty profound about the way that um, the the life of holiness and and pursuit of holiness and creating holy places and holy experiences in those holy places is is uh, something that emerges from failure, emerges from trauma, uh, rather than is something that can only happen you know, in, in a sanitized, um, trauma-free, failure-free context. And uh, I heard this from Rabbi Bigman years ago, and, I, and I, uh, it seems like a particularly apt message to recall this year. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. Straw Hat producer Haley Leventhal here. We're very excited to be back, and we appreciate your patience during our somewhat unplanned hiatus. Uh, We hope to have a more normal episode release schedule going forward. Thank you for bearing with us. As always, let us know if you have any feedback about this episode or if there are topics you want to hear about on future episodes. For those of you listening in Chicago, I hope you enjoy the warm, sunny weather this week. And to everyone, stay safe and be well.